0: Hello and welcome to Grand Craft Beer, the brand new beer podcast for Bend, Oregon. I will be your host, Brian Yeager. Uh, Basically, I get to host this because I've been writing about beer for coming up on 20 years, uh, put on a lot of events around town, write for The Source Weekly, and generally that has to do with covering beer. And today I have with me my friend and fellow certified Cicerone, Franklin. Franklin. From Third Street Beverage, great place to uh, get a wide selection of craft beers and others around. Let the folks uh, know a little something about yourself.
1: (laughs) Uh, My name is Franklin Gordon. I'm originally from Georgia. Uh, In 2020, I moved here from the Florida Panhandle. Back in Florida, I was a uh, production brewer and a consultant. I did a lot of uh, menu development, um, beer dinners. Those were a lot of fun, things like that. Came out here in 2020, and obviously everything had kind of slowed down, so... um, but I stayed in the beer world and I worked for Third Street Beverages, their beer buyer, and had a lot of fun there.
0: Well, let's use that as a as a springboard. You mentioned uh, beer dinners, and I will tell you, I used to attend a lot of them. There was a period of time where craft beer was really always on the up and up, but it was still sort of on the fringes, right? Uh, beer, of course, is not on the fringes, but this whole craft version of it was something that the the oddballs and the weirdos were doing on the side. And part of that really was finding new ways to bring people to the craft beer table, uh, table being a literal and metaphorical in this sense. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, I don't see a lot of beer dinners going on. I don't even think about, uh, I don't think there's a lot of people thinking about craft beer pairings, which was a way to try to elevate the beer space and put it on the same level as fine wine, right? It was never just wine, it was Fine wine, right uh, so what do you think people are getting into when they're when they're going out and exploring craft beer in general? We don't this doesn't even need to be bend centric, but are are there still people who are coming to the craft beer table or if you're a beer drinker, you know about it and you either have decided to focus on the independent breweries or or not at this point in time.
1: Uh, I think craft beer is always gaining uh, fans, and uh, unfortunately, you know, just the same way I got into craft beer, someone handed me a really, really hoppy rye IPA from Terrapin Brewing in, in Athens, Georgia. It was way too much for my palate. I couldn't handle it, so I ran back to my Miller Lite for a while and then found something that my palate liked, which at the time was uh, maltier beers like Porters and Stouts. So um, you, we've got ready-to-drink cocktails now, canned cocktails, and the seltzers, and those are blowing up. Uh, so... Now everyone, you know, it used to be your liquor spirits, your beer, or your wine. Those were the three things that most drinkers went to, and now there's just so much more out there. Um, We're definitely still seeing people coming to the craft beer table, and there's much better products and much more variety of products for them to try. And if you've got someone that you can ask and not just start on an IPA so you don't get... Burned out easily, but then again, you know, as you know, the i p of today is not like the i p a of the nineties and two thousands They're much more palatable, they're not nearly as bitter, uh much juicier and fruity and and every brewery has their stamp they want to make on it on how can we make this one a little bit different from everyone else?
0: yeah, I think when I think about the rise of i p a which here we are in the year two thousand twenty three and it's obviously the predominant style uh something like forty five out of a hundred beers. Served in the United States are considered either an IPA or something that is very hop forward. Hop, mm. uh, the the hop character is what is most pronounced. But when you think back about the early days of microbrewing, we had a finite number of styles, at least that were readily available. You had your ambers, your th- you know, things that named after colors. You had a golden ale, you had a <laughs> a, a brown ale, an amber, uh, and maybe you had a black beer and that's actually a great segue because we are uh grand craft beer and we're doing a, bod, uh, a beer podcast. I'm allowed to not only drink here in the studio but offer guest drinks. So I brought two uh really great Bend Brewed Loggers. We have the High Altitude which is a, a new sort of adjunct logger uh, vying for a mainstream logger from Good Life, and the other is the Schwartz beer, which is uh, just a black lager from Ben's newest brewery, Van Henyon. I'm going to let you take your your pick of these two cans that I brought in.
1: Ooh, I, really I know. there's
0: They're both crispy, crushable, right. low-alcohol lagers, but one is pale yellow and the other is jet black. He's I mean, reaching to, for the, the Van Hennion beer. Schwartz beer. I yeah. love both of these. So let's see if we can get this on. <laughs> There we go. Now you know it's a real beer podcast. Cheers. All right. Now now we could talk freely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, as I was saying, you you had those beers named after colors. You had a few British styles, maybe a few German, maybe a few Belgian styles. And now, just out of curiosity, do you have a handle on how many beer SKUs you have at Third Street Beverage? We had more
1: than we do today. Um seltzers have been growing. So and there's not always the sense of just putting beer on the shelf just because there's an empty space on the shelf. I do want something that people are gonna be interested in. We are still uh, even for beer, we are probably at almost eight hundred, I think, something like 800 that. Eight hundred skews, yeah. All of these single bottles, all the single cans, all the twelve packs, six pack, everything domestic and all together. Um Actually, you know what? I think it's less than that now because of, uh, because the, the beer department itself has been shrinking a little bit to make room for seltzer. So, yeah, it's probably smaller than that, probably about 650.
0: Well, in general, I consider myself an optimist. I call myself a pragmatic op- optimist. Mm-hmm. I want to look on the bright side, but I realize not everything is sunshine and roses all the time. On a national scale, the beer market is in slight decline, it's right. down a little over 2%. Uh, And that's really 2023 probably versus, you know, you got to look at what happened in the last few years, even though fewer people are wearing masks, purchasing wise, we're not completely out of the pandemic. And there's a lot of things that are having an ill effect on the brewing industry. Uh, Cost of goods, everything from hops are expensive to aluminum cans. We had a CO2 Mm -hmm. shortage for a while. Right. Uh, And of course, labor is hard to come by. So if you want someone to actually brew your beer, you have to pay him or her more money now. Everything is going up, up, up. Uh, And I think that when you talk about seltzer, as you've mentioned now, I think part of it is we have, we're in this era where everyone wants new. What do you have that's new? What have I not had before? To the point where even if they love it, they might not even go back to it because, well, I already had it, which to me seems... A little uh, ridiculous but I am far from the mainstream consumer so when you talk about seltzers and obviously canned cocktails RTDs hard seltzer let's not forget about that hard kombucha mm-hmm. things of all that nature uh, are you seeing that people are still really into beer for the sake of loving beer or are people trying something new just to say they had a new flavor this week Um.
1: I have a lot of repeat customers that come in and will spend my rent money on craft beer. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. Every two weeks, fill up a shopping cart, and they, and they don't even – they're like, what's new? And everything I point to, they're like, I'll try it. So you have your, your steadfast customers that just – they love beer or people that want to drink beer constantly. Um, I think it's just one of those I've always drank beer, so I'll continue to drink beer type of mentalities, uh, if I had to guess. I haven't had a conversation recently with anyone that said I'm just now getting into drinking beer. Uh, and most people who come in for like a 21st birthday present wind up going with, you know, champagne or something like that uh, rather than beer. I can easily talk about uh, <laughs> some beers that could rival any bottle of champagne, in my opinion. You know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Orval and Saison DuPont, and I always say go to this. But uh, so to, yeah. to
0: all time. That's the funny thing is those two beers, Orval and Saison DuPont, both out of Belgium, are two of the most elegant beers on earth that you can also drink. On a fairly mundane level, absolutely, and yet, it's fair to say that they're not exactly terribly in fashion.
1: Right, um, inexpensive, easily accessible. I mean, even a, a fairly nice grocery store will have Orval and Saison Dupont sometimes, depending on who's buying the beer there. But so it is. It is easy to find. It's not expensive. You don't have to, and it's so easy to drink. They're just so amazing to drink. But they don't have the flashy packaging. You know, everyone. I do say that marketing is everything a lot with uh, your new beer products. Um, A lot of your German classics and your Belgian classics, you know, it's like looking at a row of dictionaries. Uh, But they don't have to be flashy. The beer speaks for itself. But you do have to have someone to say, you know, try this.
0: Sure. And among those sales, and especially the consumer who comes in and they ask what's new and you point them out, are they – do you sort of break customers into IPA drinkers and non iPA drinkers, or are there customers who really do drink across the board
1: um, beer wise the two prevailing tastes right now are loggers where everyone has hop shock, so they 're like, "I just want something simple, and you know of course there's nothing simple about brewing on nice clean pills or anything like that um, so it's mostly I want loggers or I want IPAs, and they'll buy both. But it's the you know the two far ends of the spectrum, basically.
0: Well, let's get into that, especially because we're both drinking a lager. One again uh, from Good Life, which is predominantly an ale-forward brewery that happens to make uh, this very great, easy-drinking, highly crushable lager. Uh, and then you've got Van Henen, which does make a couple IPAs, but they really want to make their name in mm-hmm. classic, traditional German lagers and other german styles of beer that are in the lager vein like a kolsch uh or a helles for that matter actually that is sorry (laughs) that is uh just as a point of clarification we're talking about ales and lagers on a very simple level it just means is it a lager yeast which is going to be cold fermenting and kind of work its magic at the bottom so you'll you'll hear it referred to as cold fermenting or bottom fermenting lager or a warmer hot hot you know, hotter temperature, mm-hmm. not hot, just warmer uh, ale yeast that will work its magic at the top of the fermentation tank. Uh, and when it... So we're talking about these beers that, you know, if you look at all the, the national brands, all the macro brands other than Guinness, they're all a light adjunct lager. So the craft industry for years and years, I mean, we're talking om- over a decade, has every year been saying, oh, I think craft loggers are gonna be the next big thing. <laughs> but miraculously, we actually are at a point where they are big and they're doing great numbers. Absolutely. Uh, but then you also talk about, you know, especially High Altitude from Good Life here, they sell it in a 12 pack, they want it to be the beer to rival the macros uh, from a volume standpoint, and at the same time, not only is the yeast stream that they have to use different, but really the maturation time will be different. So lagers take longer time, just by definition. You mm-hmm. cannot churn out a lager as quickly as an ale. Why is it that they're still priced on the lower price point?
1: Um, I would have to say, you know, there's a trade off when brewing lagers. Yes, your ales are faster. Sometimes you can go grain to glass in as little as nine days. You know, those things are just really moving. Whereas with your lagering, yes, you have to bring it down to almost freezing temperatures, let it sit, let it slowly clean up, clarify um, until you get that nice crisp flavor. Uh, the trade off is that you're using much less. Uh, in form of your grain bill, you're using a much more simplified grain bill. You don't know, have lots of specialty malts, lots of crystal malts, and dark malts. And, um, and the other is your hop schedules. Hops, hop contracts are very expensive now. Everyone's vying for them. Uh, and if you don't, you know, if you just go with your noble hops, your your traditional German hops and uh, Czech hops, you don't have to use as much to it. So they're not as hop forward. Um, and also, you know, I know a lot of people are using non-vegetative hop products, but you're also not losing as much beer when you're putting hot pellets in there and those are soaking up beer themselves. So um, I would say it's a trade-off. And it honestly depends on, you know, with our system, the distributors who, is, who are buying the beers from your breweries, how they price it, and that's how we go how we price them. Uh, some some of the larger distributors have a blanket price for every six pack and a blanket price for every twelve pack. It doesn't matter if it's a nine percent double IPA with tons and tons of dry hopping, which cost a lot to make, or a very modest uh, Pills or Hellas Lager that may may not have cost hardly anything to make comparatively.
0: I will say when I'm out at a tap room, whether it's a brewery's tasting room or just a great beer bar, and you see the price points on these different pints, and frequently something in the vein of a double IPA will either be a higher price point or the same price but served less volume per glass. And I do hear people ask, why is it more expensive? Mm -hmm. Uh, How does the industry get around explaining to the customer, especially the customer that loves double IPAs but might not understand what it means that hops, you know, it's – Yes, beer is ninety five percent water thereabouts, but <laughs> you're not going to make a good one without a lot of hops in it. Uh, how do we how do we have that conversation with the customers as to why they have to ultimately spend more for a double IPA?
1: Uh, most are understanding that the price of things are increasing. You know, the, especially beginning of last year, prices started to go up, uh, and everyone's like, "Well, I guess beer is getting more expensive." Also, uh, some of my older customers that aren't quite used to the sharp increase and when they're looking for simpler craft beers that are like Anchor. Anchor is disappearing, at least temporarily. Um,
0: and so, you know, As a side note, not to interrupt mm-hmm. too badly there, but we are going to be focusing on the Bend beer scene and the Oregon beer scene in general, but uh, this is Grand Craft Beer volume, you know, episode one, uh, and we did just lose the original craft brewery in Anchor Brewing down in San Francisco. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have met Fritz Maytag, the sort of, the man who is not the inventor of Anchor because the brewery came out in 1896, but he's the one who wrote the check and saved it in 1965. Uh, So that brewery really was America's first, uh, you know, an original craft brewery for, you know, you could say, oh, the brewery was founded 127 years ago, but it really almost more has this near- uh 80 year history to it Mm -hmm. i think that really will be its lasting legacy and craft beer would have emerged regardless you had people like ken grossman great example at at sierra nevada who was a few years away from uh starting his sierra nevada brewing company but just uh if if we were dumping out any of these i would definitely want to pour out (laughs) some for for anchor here and and uh do you have any Anchor left on the shelves, by the way, at 3rd Street? No, not at all. Not I, one I got, drop, I yeah.
1: I everything I could. I <laughs> ordered everything I could. And people, it was interesting. People were coming in uh, just in a rash, like tr- trying to fill up a shopping cart. And I didn't want to be, you know, like, when's the last time you had an Anchor? Of anyway? course. But I went through my Anchor phase also in the early 2000s. I'd never had an Anchor steam. I tried it. I was like, this is amazing. And for about eight months, that was one of my go-tos. But like everything else, it's like, there's too many beers out here for me to just drink one. And I realized I hadn't had one in a long time. So, but I I do think they'll be back. There's lots of rumbling and news about um, people coming together to buy that brewery from Sapporo USA. Yeah,
0: the union, the the Anchor Brewing employees had unionized, and they have approached the overlords, the 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 company that last held Anchor, which was Sapporo. uh, And I definitely hope that they are able to pull it off. Now, to that, just an interesting because we're you know just. Flitting around, having these different thought experiments, uh, I know that I had talked to you recently when I wrote the oral history for Mirror Pond, for the source, and I got to write this two thousand word sort of love letter, but it was also a, a bit of a, a warning about what could happen to these older established brands, and of course that was published in the days before the news that Anchor was being shut down. Uh, do you? And and obviously you had told me that Mirror Pond does continue to sell quite well even though you are really focused on you know you have all the the, those new sexy uh uh craft beers on the shelves do you think that there is a, a large section of today's beer drinkers that are interested in keeping craft flagship brands alive and the heritage brands or do those not matter because the segment of craft brewing is so strong that even if they're not selling Mirror Pond, even if they're not selling Black Butte Porter, one of those sort of juggernaut brands from them, uh, neither of which is the top seller, mm. uh, do you think that there's still needed space on the shelves for those beers, or is it a would it be bad if everyone was just focusing on new flavors, new styles, new color packaging? You know, because sometimes we'll know reintroduce a a brand. They don't even change the beer. They just call it a brand refresh. (laughs) Uh, How much do people want flavors that they are used to and comfortable with versus appealing to a customer that just always wants something brand new, whether they're, you know, doing a review on untapped or one of the beer review sites or just because that's what they're, they feel like whether or that they're using social media to propagate that desire for new, new, new.
1: Right. I'd have to say that uh, brand loyalty is just uh, hyper uh, local, one of those things. So, you know, the people that live in Central Oregon that drink Deschutes will keep that afloat. And Deschutes is a company I'm pretty sure that's, that's fairly safe. I'd, I'd hope they're fairly safe from any of the recession, anything else that's going on. Um, as fashionable as beer is, and as quickly as people want to jump from one to the next, uh, one thing to the next, um, a lot of those drinkers will actually Grab these like single high, expensive, um, super hyped like a sour beer with you know lots of gimmicks so to speak in it, and then for the regular beer they'll drink Rainier, that
0: kind <laughs> of thing. So, um, it- you've definitely sold me some of those, for lack of a better word, gimmicky high-end beers. <laughs> yeah, but it's because you carry them, and I, I know you know here I am. I'm drinking this high altitude. I'm drinking the Adjunct Lager, but I also really want to drink something new and and delicious and intricate and elegant and all those things that Mm -hmm. beer, you know, obviously we're long past the days of people saying, oh, I don't like beer. I don't like that flavor. It has myriad flavors. Absolutely. Uh, So let's talk about Bend in particular. Do you think now, obviously you probably get a good mix of locals and tourists, whether they're buying a case of something for a float or they're drinking in their hotel rooms, whatever it is, but... Is there something that, in any way, distinguishes Bend beer buying habits from other parts? From whether it's Georgia, where you're from, mm-hmm. or you know, you've traveled around. Like, what makes our market distinct, if anything?
1: Um, we've we've touched on this on the conversation before. Is just the the mentality of what you can do in this area especially outdoors It's very outdoorsy whether it's winter time and you're skiing snowboarding and snowshoeing or it's summertime and you're you know coasting down the river or laying out on a lakeside beach or playing golf or whatever and there's there's kind of a beer for every situation in that aspect if you can put it in that uh, mentality when you're thinking about buying um bend is just a very it's a place where there's a lot of outdoor fun it's a playground there's a lot of socializing going on and so that uh, kind of helps uh, grease the wheels, so to speak, when it comes to buying beer. So, um, Yeah, the very light beers like the one you're drinking definitely has a, a place in there when it's a little cooler at night. I mean, I'm one of those weirdos that can drink a Russian Imperial Scout <laughs> in July if I'm sitting in the shade just because that's how I came up. But I think I, I'd have a hard time with that. <laughs> yeah, just one would do it, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. You uh, know,
0: it's funny. I say that, but I was at a, a beer festival uh, not too long ago, and it was in the 90s, and there was scant shade to be found but be, by the virtue of being a beer geek beer festival mm-hmm. yeah there were a lot of 13 14 russian imperial stouts and other you know just really strong beers and blended barley wines barrel aged beers yep. and uh so i did have some and at the <laughs> same time at, after the festival i thought oh why did i do that so our time is almost done but you and i really love thinking about beers in that place and time and seasonality really is or should be everything. So just on a really not highbrow level, you know, the days are are hot, we're luckily cooling down, but there's a lot of smoke going on outside. We're we're just ramping up. Uh would you mind or would you be able to pick out some of your favorite float beers? I'm always really uh interested in this idea of like not just a, a beer for hot temperature, but you're gonna you're gonna bring maybe a stovepipe, one of those nineteen point two ounce cans that are kinda designated for convenience stores, but I know you have a, a great shelf of them at Third Street Beverage. Uh just thinking about what what are some very specific brands, some specific beers uh brewed around Bend. So obviously it either has to be canned or something that could be crowled at the pub. Right. Uh, what are some of your favorites if you're gonna spend a day on the water?
1: If I were going to, I would right now go grab Van Henyon, their Hellas Lager. That's just that's a great one.
0: That's I rapid definitely. I was just came from there earlier today. I was talking to Mark and Dana uh Hennion, and they said, Yeah, the IPA is still their best selling beer, but they really want to be, you know, in that traditional Germanic beer space and their Hellas is absolutely right on the heels. Mm -hmm. I think that will make them very happy. Uh, And especially, everyone brews an IPA. It's great that theirs is very drinkable. Yeah, you you practically have to. Uh, We could have a conversation about the very (laughs) few breweries that don't even brew one, but I call that, you know, that's like the restaurant that doesn't sell a hamburger. Right. Like, if you don't do it, you've made a choice. Sure. That's not an accident that you don't have an IPA or you don't have a hamburger, whereas... Thirty years ago in the in the microbrew space, no one had an IPA. Uh, Fifteen years ago, most people had one. But here we are. You could go into a brewery and find eight or nine different versions of it. Right. Um, all right. So. But I, I, I derailed you from oh, from no, no. So the the Van Henyan Hellas classic, definitely. Yes.
1: Um I would probably have to grab a uh, Rivermark pills from Sun River. I'm a big Sun River fan and that's that's a really good one. I like that a lot. And Good Life's Bavarian Lager is fantastic for that also. Um I can't drink seven and a half percent beers while floating <laughs> right. and, and you know, I've done that before, playing golf or hanging out at the beach. I made those mistakes, so now I do like Um, A little bit more sessionable alcohol content. So, yeah, I will usually go for a lager or pills.
0: I will add one. uh, The guys at Crux know I'm a big fan of this, but they're Bochi Bochi. It's the Japanese style rice lager, uh, sub 5%. I think in general, if you could reach for beer that's, you know, on the lighter, dare I say, waterier side, uh, like a Hellas, like these adjunct lagers are. Uh, But, you know, the point is. You're floating. You're you're experiencing uh, the Deschutes River or one of the lakes. You know, uh, very slow increments, and the beer is just sort of there to keep you hydrated. That's right. the other thing is, you like you were saying, yeah, if you all. have a seven and a half percenter, that is less water, more alcohol, and sure. it's going to hit you more in I'm these hot days. Taking a nap days. in an
1: hour and getting up and going home probably. You
0: know, so. <laughs> uh, anything else going on on the Bend beer scene going on that you were just really stoked on at at this moment? You don't have to, I'm not trying to throw you, uh, you know, put you on the spot too much, but is there anything, any uh, other, non, you know, non-float beers, uh, new releases that have come in uh, that you think people should check out or events coming up? I mean, obviously here we are at the end of July. I know a couple places are already planning their Oktoberfest. That's for September. Looking forward to that. Um, or is now just a good time to not have to have thematic drinking and it's just accompanying the good vibes and the the good weather.
1: Yeah, I think this is a good time to just kind of enjoy it and sit back. Uh, I am still watching uh, Funky Fauna up in Sisters, coming out with more canned products. If anyone sees any of those, grab them. They're absolutely world-class. you got to try it. Um, Just lots of terroir and and just nuance and very refreshing.
0: I missed it. They were pouring at Deschutes' Beer Festival a week ago. Damn Tasty was their first version of doing that. And they wanted to be a block party and support all their friends in the community. So it was only Central Oregon breweries that were invited. And by the time I got there, Funky Fauna's uh, Saison, it was a fur tip and lemon. Oh, nice. Lemon bomb, maybe. Something Mm -hmm. with lemon. Uh, It was one of the few beers that actually kicked super early. Nice. So clearly... Uh, that all or predominantly saison brewery up in Sisters. I know you and I are a big fan of them. Sure, And uh, a mad scientist, And though. there you go. You know, there's another example of a brewery. They don't have a lager. They don't have an IPA. I think
1: they do. They, they finished it with Brett, but they you know, they did a, a, a Brett IPA. Oh,
0: when they first came out, yeah, oh, yeah. they had right, They had here's, a Brett here's IPA, your IPA. <laughs> and I'm gonna. I you could easily argue that a Brett IPA is not an IPA. It's a hoppy, right. most <laughs> IPA drinkers, would funky be like, beer. What is this? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, that's the other thing is, and, and I know you and I have talked about this, you have Van Hennion doing the German beers, you mm-hmm. have Funky Fauna doing Belgian beers, you have Porter Brewing, uh, who are a bit in transition at the at this moment, they're not brewing in Redmond, but they don't get a brew in Lapine, they're contract brewing here in Bend, uh, but they're doing all cast conditioned ales, um, Monkless, of course, also no IPA, all Belgian style, heavily Trappist uh influenced brewery so we have a lot of variety and at the same time whatever it is that floats your boat so to speak you're going to find a beer here that that speaks to your palate absolutely you're gonna find many 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 beers i can't think of
1: too many styles that aren't being made in some capacity in this area
0: i do have a couple that i know about but these are for future grand craft beer episodes we have run out of time franklin thank you so much for coming in and being the first guest on the first episode. Thanks for having me. It was a big honor.
1: Can't wait to come back.
0: Thank you all for listening. If there's anything you want to hear about on future episodes, uh, drop me an email, brian at beerodyssey.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at B-E-E-R-O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y.com. You can find me and this show on Instagram at Grand Craft Beer. Franklin, you want to tell them your, your social handles?
1: Um, I'm okay. I don't really. I'm, Beerwise. wise. Uh, okay. Yes, beer <laughs> Beerwise is, um, is on Instagram. It was my consulting company and no one's paying consultants right now, but, uh.
0: Dark, dark times. Yeah,
1: they are. We're all reverting <laughs> to nine to five jobs, which I enjoy though.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys very much and, uh, we'll catch you next time.